بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته My respected elders and brothers in Islam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم هو الذي أرسل رسوله بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله ولو كره المشركون Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who sent his messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with pure guidance, <coughs> with a religion of truth, so that he may make it manifest, so that he may exhibit its superiority over every single other ideology, over every single other way of life, over every single other religion that has existed or will ever exist. That this is the Islam that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam knew that he had to spread. Now, I want you to just take a moment and think about Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's position. That he's in Makkatul Mukarramah and he knows that he is Rahmatul Alameen. He knows that his message and the deen of Islam that he's going to bring has to reach the entire world. But at the same time, when he looks around, he finds that he is surrounded by a sea of people who are worshipping idols. He's surrounded by people who are committing all sorts of acts that are immoral. He is within a nation who do not even have a central governing system, who don't have an empire. He is within a place that doesn't even have a controlled economy. And from this place, one man, of course the greatest man to ever walk the face of this earth, Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he has to make sure that Islam reaches the entire world. And so Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, just, just think about it now in perspective, that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam now in 23 years, he changes the belief system of every single person in the Arabian Peninsula now to pure monotheism in 23 years. In 23 years he takes those people who were committing immoral actions and he makes them the greatest generation that this ummah has ever seen in 23 years. In 23 years, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam takes that place that didn't even have an empire and makes it into the empire that topples the world's superpowers in 23 years. That one, This one fact alone, this one statement alone should be enough to convince any single person of the fact that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was a true messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Nabi sallallahu there were many, there were many conquerors in history, we know, who created huge empires. But there was no one in history who created a spiritual revolution, who created a moral revolution, who brought such laws to the people that even the most developed nations at the time did not have, who brought such an empire to the world that was based on connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This was never ever seen before in history, it will never ever be seen again. Now my respected brothers, this Islam that was complete in every aspect, that spread through the world now, it spread to the west, to Spain, it went eastwards, right to Uzbekistan, to China. This Islam that came to the people there, these people who were in darkness, 
It taught them how they're going to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It taught them what is the difference between right and wrong in their actions. It taught them how they should govern the family structure. It taught them how they should govern the economy. It taught them how they should administer the government. Every single aspect of life was covered by this religion of Islam that came. That's why when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم We really need to understand this, that if you just take one example, you know, like uh, famously when people talk about economics, they talk about socialism, they talk about capitalism. Islam has its own economic system. That in the midst of changing the morality of the people, bringing Tawheed to the entire world, Islam also came with an economic system. And this is, I'm just taking one aspect out of the many different aspects of law that came. In fact, if you look at French law, this is just going on a tangent, look at French law, when Napoleon came to Egypt, and they were following the Maliki school of thought, that Maliki school that was based on the Ahadith and Quran, that came over a thousand years earlier, the French law today actually took from the code of Maliki law that was based on the, 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 the rules that came down in the Quran and Hadith before that. This is how developed it was. So sometimes we as Muslims, we just need to take a step back and think about it now. That this Islam spread throughout the world, it created justice throughout the world, it showed the people how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it created morality and spiritual connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wherever it went. And we need to just like really put it into perspective how successful it was and what it did. And to do that, I'm going to quote people that are non-Muslims, not because we give their view any importance, but just to show you that even non-Muslims are saying this. That example, Michael Hart, he wrote a book, The 100 Most Successful People in History. Number one on his list was the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And what he said that no one was so successful in history on a religious level and a political level. There's no one in history. Bernard Shaw, someone who doesn't like Muslims at all, but he says, look at what he's saying. He's saying that I believe if the Prophet Muhammad was here today and he took control of the world, he'd be able to solve all of his problems. If you look at someone who lived in the 1700s, anyone who studied economics will know his name, Adam Smith. He is said to be the pioneer of the free market systems, although the reality is that Ibn Khaldun and Imam Ghazali wrote about it before him. But he says that the era of the four khulafa, the era of the four khulafa, was the first era in human history where there was such economic stability that scientific development and the development of humanity could take place. When we see the way the Muslims enacted justice, that when the Muslims went to Spain and the Jews there were living under the Christians, the Visigoth Empire, the Jews actually helped the Muslims take over the empire because they wanted to be under Muslim rule rather than Christian rule. So every aspect you look at it, you can take many examples in history. Take the example of you know, someone that's very famous, that we've always heard of, Christopher Columbus, and we heard that he went to America, but he was looking for India because of spices. It's not true. The reality is when you read his letters, the reason why he was making that journey was that the Ottoman Empire was becoming so strong, was encroaching on Europe, he was looking for help to try and defeat the Ottoman Empire. It was Islam that made him make that journey. Sometimes we don't, we don't realize this. The impact that Islam had, that the religion which Nabi Wasallam brought, that even as... 1,000 years later, the impact that it was having on the world, we don't realize. That Genghis Khan, obviously we've heard of his name, someone who conquered most of the known world. 
He was so in awe of the Islamic empires, which is 600 years removed from Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that initially he agreed that, you know what, I'm not even going to encroach in their territory. They can rule that side of the world, I'll rule this side of the world. Now, it was the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, bi-idhnillah, that for the wisdoms known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which can be discussed in another session, that the Muslim world did eventually experience a decline in terms of its empires. That we know in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, the colonial powers, they spread throughout the Muslim world, Britain going here and there, France going here and there, and dismantling the systems that were there. So when France now goes to Egypt or Algeria, or Britain goes to India, they don't tell the Muslims, you know what, give up your Islam. They don't tell them you have to become murtad. But what they do is, that this system, this perfect conceptual system, this religion which was there, which governed on an individual level, on the level of the family, on the level of the government, on the level of the economy, on the level of society, they go there to the Muslims and they say that, you know what, your Islam now, you can practice it, but you're going to practice it in the house, you're going to practice it in your masjid, you're going to practice it in your private place, but when it comes to governing, when it comes to the economy, when it comes to society, we're going to take care of that. So they splinter now the perfect system of Islam which had governed every single aspect of life. And the ulama who were there at the time, the great ulama, Shaykh al-Hind for example, who we're going to talk about, they fought tooth and nail against this because they understood that Islam is a complete package. You can't separate aspects of Islam uh, from each other. And they fought against this. But after a century had passed, maybe a century and a half, we find that we see some of the repercussions of being ruled by non-Muslims, we find it amongst ourselves to an extent. And I'll just mention two such examples that are relevant to what I'm going to talk about. The first is that outwardly now, we will say that, you know, all of the answers are in Quran and Hadith. We'll say that. We'll say that in Quran and Hadith, it can teach you how to do everything. It can teach you how to, it can uh, teach you how to run a country. But in practice now, it appears, Allah protect us, that we okay, you know, we okay with the, the non-Muslims running the country. We're okay with it. We don't mind. So long as we're here, we get to do our little thing. We don't mind it. We've lost that desire for Islam to be in charge in the entire world. And I'm not saying that's the case with everyone. Allah protect us. But it appears outwardly as though we've lost, lost that desire. The desire is not there. But sometimes they give an example of a lion said to be the king of the jungle. It's living in the wild. When people capture it, they take it now to the zoo. So that lion who lived in the wild was the king of the jungle, so to speak. Very difficult to capture, very difficult to keep in captivity. He's doing anything he can to escape and go back to his natural state. But after a while, his children and his children's children, they grew up in captivity now. For them, the way they're looking at it, just speculating that the food is there for us, everything is nice, we don't have to worry, we don't have to go out and hunt. So now even if you leave that door open too, maybe they'll run, but they'll even come back into captivity. You have to tell them, you are a lion, this is not where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be the king of the jungle, not here in captivity. So sometimes if you just use that as an example, that you get so used to 
letting other people run the world, letting other people do things, and it's a great responsibility and difficulty. If you just think about at the time of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what it meant that when they really had an ummah, when they really had an ummah who was going to govern the city of Medina, for example, it meant that at any time Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa could call you, there's an army going out, you need to join. At any time Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa could come and say, there's some guests who here has something for them, you know, let's give it to them. When the muhajireen uh, migrated, then the ansar gave up so much. So there was a lot of responsibility, there was a lot of, but it came, that's a necessary corollary of unity of ummah, of brotherhood, that was what was there. And when the world is such that Islam is not in charge, the rules of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are not being enacted, that justice is, then justice will not prevail in the world. If the Muslims are removed from having power in the world, necessarily other groups will take power. And when other groups take power, then what's going to happen is what we see happening in the world. Allah protect us. Allah protect our brothers and sisters in Palestine. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help the mujahideen in Gaza. But the reality is, and we just have to be frank about it, that if we are going to act like this is the first time this has happened and Muslims have been removed from power, we're going to be doing an injustice. From the time Muslims were removed from power, there have been massacres like this here. And all of them are something that we should be crying about. Whether it was Algeria, whether it was Bosnia, whether it was before that in India, whether it was Afghanistan, whether it was Iraq. But these massacres, when the Muslims are not in charge, when justice is not there, a necessary corollary of this is that we are going to see this happening before our eyes, and Allah protect us, we are going to feel helpless about it. And yes... We will do everything we can to help them. We will try and rectify ourselves. We will make dua. We will raise awareness. We will donate. All of that we need to do. But an example there we need to think about is a person, he has a hole in his roof. So every time it rains, the water comes in through the hole and then his house gets flooded. So whenever it happens, the immediate duty that the person has to do, the whole family has to get together. Let's get the water out of the house. Let's solve the situation now. But in the long run, it would be foolish for the person to say, I'm not going to fix the hole. In the long run, what the person has to do is he has to fix that hole in the roof so this thing doesn't happen again. And so the Muslim Ummah, if we just use that as an example, we have to fix the situation there. We have to do everything we can now to remove the water from the house, to help our brothers and sisters in Gaza. Whatever it takes, we have to do it now. But at the same time, we have to look to the future, how we're going to plug that hole so it doesn't happen again. That's something that we have to think about. That's something that we as Muslims have, had to, have to do. And as much as it might seem like, you know, it's so impossible for there to be a change, for a long-term change to happen. But that is why at the beginning I mentioned the case of Nabi wasallam and how Islam started and in 23 years the effect that Islam had. That if we read the seerah of Nabi wasallam, a person can read it as a practical instruction manual for how a group of a few small Muslims can become the dominant force in the world. The seerah is a practical step-by-step guide for that. And one of the first steps that Nabi wasallam took was that he gave da'wah to every single person around him. He, No matter who it was, Nabi wasallam taught the sahaba as well, you give da'wah, you spread Islam to whoever is around you. And Allah protect us, we find that even this quality is being removed from us slowly, that we've been here for so long, yet how much of the local community have we impacted with the message of Islam? But I want to take us just one step before that, that even before the da'wah, or even together with the da'wah, the one thing Nabi wasallam did right from the outset, is that he created a spiritual revolution. That he made every single one of the men around him, people who were connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, people who had taqwa, 
people who you know you can trust, who will always do the right thing, who are doing everything they can for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it was on the foundation of men like this, that the Islamic empires we were talking about, were able to flourish. It was this foundation of spirituality, of connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the men of the ummah, that was such that the Islamic empires were able to flourish, that other empires didn't have that. If you look at the description of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم Believers Amongst themselves they have harmony they have unity they have love for one another تراهم ركعا سجدي يبتغون فضلا من الله ورضوانا A salient feature of the Sahaba رضي الله عنهم is that you see them in sajda in ruku meaning they are making salah they are seeking the happiness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they are seeking the bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala سيماهم في وجوههم من أثر السجود they have the mark of sajda is apparent on them one of the interpretations of that is you can see the nur coming out from them because they have a spiritual connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the prerequisite for a transformation in the world and an enactment of the Islamic law is a transformation of the individual Muslim. That there's a saying, I don't know who said it, but if you can conquer yourself, if you can master yourself, if you can change yourself, then you can change the world. And we as Muslims, when the colonial powers came, they did what they did. But one of the things they did was to temper with the morality of every single Muslim. So you see that in Algeria, literally the French said, we need to get the women out of their homes, we need to make them remove the parda that they're wearing. You can find these quotes from those French who went to Algeria. You'll see that they pushed into our thought a liberal way of thinking, a way of the LGBTQ movement. All of these movements have come to temper with the morality of human beings, to get us to accept their way of life that is completely incongruent with Islam. And we as Muslims, before we spread the light of Islam to the rest of the world, we need to make sure that the flame of Islam is burning within us. And the perfect time to do this, my respected brothers, is this month of Ramadan that's coming. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a gift. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a way of all of the bad habits that we have picked up. Allah protect us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a way of getting rid of it now. Once and for all, removing it. And in this month of Ramadan, we can start with number one, ensuring our five daily salah is being performed in the masjid. There's no compromise on that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ تَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ That this salah is something which will stop you from all the bad things that you're doing. This salah will stop you from it. If you become uh, persistent, if you become consistent upon it, this salah will stop you from that. Now, a great scholar by the name of Shaykh Al-Hind, or his title was Shaykh Al-Hind, he was one of those who were fighting against the British. And he spent three years in Malta, uh, in, which was like a prison that the British had there. And this was nearing the end of his life. Maybe I think he had about, he only lived for one year after that before he passed away. And whilst he was there, he thought about the decline of the Muslim world. And he reasoned and he thought about it. And when he was released, he gave a lecture to the people and he told them that, you know, I have contemplated on the decline of the Muslim world and I've realized that there's two major issues that have contributed to this. And the first thing he said was that the Muslim world has become disconnected from the Qur'an. The Muslim world is living in isolation from the Qur'an. And the second thing that he said was, the Muslim world has become disunited. And we know that that was one of the ploys of the colonial powers from, uh, from many centuries. So when we really think about it, this month of Ramadan is the perfect month for us to connect with the Qur'an. 
that this Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an that the Anbiya who came, they came bil bayyinati wa zubur with miracles and they came with scripture. But this Qur'an is both of this in one. This Qur'an is a scripture and it's a miracle. The miracles of the other Anbiya, they were there for those people who were living at the time and then they disappeared. The miracle of the Qur'an is on the shelf for us to read at any time. This Qur'an, if we look at the miracles of the other Anbiya, Musa alayhi salam for example, when he showed his miracle, those sorcerers who came to defeat him, in a split second, or let's say in a few moments, they turn from people being against the Nabi to the greatest walis of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they witnessed the miracle of the Nabi. So now when Fir'aun said that, they said, They were ready to die. Why? Because they saw the miracle of the Nabi. Now we as Muslims, we got the miracle of our Nabi. It's right here. That same miracle of Musa alayhi which transformed the lives of those sorcerers, the, the Qur'an can transform our lives like that in a short space of time. But we need to give it a chance to do that. I mean, just think about it, put it into perspective, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us in this world to test us. ayyukum ahsan wa Put us in here. We're going to be here for a short space of time. He wants us to do what's right. In order for that, He gave us the Qur'an which will show us what's right and what's wrong. Now imagine this entire life, we know it's true, we know we're going to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us, we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us the Qur'an to guide us. But yet in this entire life, we never stop to think what's in the Qur'an. What is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying? What is Surah Fatiha trying to tell me? What is this Surah trying to tell me? What is the message in the Qur'an that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me? It's Ya Ayyuhan Nas. It's addressed to every single one of us. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. This address to us, have we even began, you know, began to even unlock some of the secrets of the Qur'an. Which believe me, there's no end to, to, to studying the Qur'an. Of course, one has to do this with ulama, with authentic tafsirs. But this is the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to us. And it's this Qur'an. Umar radiallahu anh says, Inna Allah yarfa'u biha Qur'an aqwaman wa yada'u biha akhareen. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, based on people's adherence to this Qur'an, He gives them status and He elevates them. And other nations, He drops them because they have disregarded the Qur'an. So we have to reattach ourselves to the Qur'an in any way that we can. And the month of Ramadan with the Tarawih Salah, etc. is the perfect way for us to do this. And before we finish, one other thing that we can all inshallah try to do in this month of Ramadan is to give up many of the addictions that we have. I'm not talking about drugs. I'm talking about dopamine addiction when you're using your phone and you're using social media. I'm talking about an addiction that's prevalent amongst many, many Muslims. We're addicted to watching series, addicted to watching movies. These, wallahi, it's tools of the kuffar to govern your mind, to think in the way that they think. If for two hours every day, you are watching non-Muslims glorifying and glamorizing things that are un-Islamic, not mentioning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not mentioning God, not mentioning anything to do with Islam, and you putting yourself in their shoes for two hours every day, what you think is going to happen to the way you view the world? It's going to change. You can go to maktab, you can talk to your alim, you can do whatever you want, but in two hours, if this is what you're watching, this is what you're taking in, then that's what's going to happen. And if a person, if, you leave, if we leave our youngsters to keep watching this, to keep doing this, I'll just try and explain to you now in one minute what an absurd situation arises. What arises is you get a group, a generation of people who now because of this, because it was deemed to be something that's not dangerous, that's not detrimental, you have a group of people now who they know more about the superhero of the civilization that destroyed the Islamic civilization, they know more about that superhero than they know about any Sahaba. It's a fact. Whether we like it or not, whether it sounds crazy or it doesn't sound crazy, it's a fact. 
There are many, many people, and I'm not even absolving myself from this. There are many, many people who know, and I'm just going to say it again so you understand how it's how wrong it is, that they know more about a fictional superhero of a culture that came to destroy Islam, that they know about the true superheroes of the Islam like the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. So my respected brothers and elders, inshallah I'm going to conclude with this, that in this month of Ramadan, we need to make a spiritual revolution. The same spiritual revolution that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam brought to the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. We need to connect ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, connect ourselves to the Masajid, connect ourselves to the Quran, connect ourselves to the ulama. But beyond this, this connection is not only restricted to, you know, just becoming pious and leaving it at that. This connection is there so we can become beacons of light, so we can take Islam and take the light of Islam to the rest of the country and the rest of the world after that. That this becomes the base and the foundation, this connection and this piety becomes the base and the foundation to build a future Islamic empire, inshaAllah, based on this year. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tawfiq wa akhiru da'wan alhamdulillah.